на трибунах холеют знамена, Облака под небесни плывут. На зеленом ковре стадиона разноцветные майки цветут. Hello and welcome back to the Russian Football News Podcast. The RPL got back underway at the weekend with some excellent goals, entertaining matches, boring ones. I'm looking at you, Arsenal versus Akhmat and more highly controversial refereeing decisions. I'm your host, James Nichols, and I'll be joined by David Sanson. Hello, hello. And Andrew Flint. Hello, guys. How are we doing? There's only one place to start here, right? It has to be at Spartak. The 2-2 draw with Sochi on Sunday was rife with controversy. First of all, they raced off to a 2-0 lead through great goals from Alexander Sobolev and Jordan Larson. And a little note out there for Sobolev, Played very well and it's a bit emotional to see, obviously, with his celebration after what happened to his mother. His mother passed last week and they should be should be looking down on him from there and be very proud of him. So he, he deserves every little bit of applaud that he gets for that. But after that, Larson scored and they were immediately pegged back by a goal after Pasha Mazov was correctly adjudged to have fouled Kirill Zyka in the box and Dima Polos typically converted the penalty. During the game, Spartak tore Sochi apart with some of the best attacking moves seen from the Red and Whites for some time, but couldn't find a crucial third with Ezekiel Ponsa, Larson, Sobolev and Maxim Klushenko of all missing glorious opportunities. Then in the final minute, controversy stuck. Samuel Zizou was adjudged to a foul, Sochi youngster Anatoly Namchenko in the box, and then Naboa duly dispatched a penalty to a chorus of boos, making the game 2-2. So what are the decisions themselves? I personally think the first was a very tight call and could have seen it given either way. But ultimately, Maslov went through Zyka to get the ball. And despite getting a touch, the penalty was the right call. The second, however, is a totally different story. Zizou attempted a block named Chenka's shot, who got the shot off just in time and forced a good save from Alexander Maximenko with his feet. The referee, Vasily Kazartsev, gave a penalty and went to VAR, where some confusion seemed to brew between himself and the video assistant ref- referee, Alexei Eskov. The transcript, uh, transcript of which has been released and is follows. The assistant VAR, what did he do? Corner or what? What did he do? Kazartsev, shot and goal. Zhigo knocks down. Assistant VAR, the judge has appointed a penalty. Eskov, I can only cancel it. Deep breath, VAR centre is audible. Kazartsev, he hits the ball. Zhigo knocks it down. Check it out. Check it out. Eskov, it turns out yes. Eskov uses profanity. Assistant VAR, have you made a decision? Assistant referee, there is no more time. Assistant VAR, the judge is still conducting the procedure. Eskov, after a long delay, well, he hit his leg. Vasily, I confirm a decision, keep playing. So here it seems that Eskov initially claimed it was not a penalty, but then later unknowingly changed his mind. Personally, I must say it's a terrible decision. Zizou stood his ground and tried to block the shot. Yemchenko's own momentum forced him to fly into Zizou. Immediately after the game, Leonid Fadun gave a heat-in-the-moment interview threatening to pull Spartak out of the RPL. The head of refereeing later suspended both Kudzartsev and Eskov, and later it's been announced that Kudzartsev definitely has and has accepted, and Eskov is expected to undergo a polygraph test to prove they merely got the decision wrong and there was no esoteric intentions. Now, this whole episode reminds me of a game between Spartak and Tom Tomsk in 2006, where Pavel Kulalayev sent off Pavel Yachenka, disallowed a goal from Yegor Titov right in the last minute, and gave a controversial penalty to Tomsk against Spartak. 
So what could have been a 3-1 result then became 2-2. Then at the time, Spartak General Director Sergei Shavlo actually asked for criminal investigations into Kulalayev. But in the end, the RFU did give Kulalayev a polygraph test, created a working group and decided that the referee was wrong on the decisions, but not intentionally, which is the key part there. Kulalayev was suspended for a year and then returned to work in the FNL and PFL before eventually making his way back to the RPL in 2012, six years after the initial incident. He refereed in the RPL until 2016 when he retired after a string of further controversial decisions. Now unpacking this, Andrew, in your opinion, were these decisions correct, the two penalties? Well, the first one, my first instinct was it was very harsh. I, I thought Maslow had got the ball. But when you see the replays properly, and this is, of course, the whole point of VAR, it shows you as many angles as you can. You can say, like you said um, initially, that Maslow does make contact um, with the striker first. So the first one is a penalty. Um, from the naked eye, first time, it's hard to tell, but it is a penalty, the first one. I think we can all agree on that. Um, the second one, though, not at all. The thing that frustrates me the most is, and I think this is one of the downfalls I didn't quite foresee about that, is that now, because there is so so much, so many angles that can be seen, if there's any contact at all, I think a lot of referees are now so scared of not giving a penalty when any contact can be seen that they think, I'd better just give it. And this is one of those examples. This, you know, the, Giga makes the challenge. Um, the ball has gone past him, and the, the player falls over him. He sort of his momentum carries him into Giga. And for me, it was just a the, the first one was the second one quite clearly wasn't. And I think the only reason it was given is simply because they, they were scared of what people would say when they said, "Oh, but there was contact." It's like, well, it's, it's not just any contact. It's got to be the defender preventing the attacker from a goal-scoring opportunity. He wasn't doing that. The ball had gone. He'd lost control of it. It was the attacker's momentum into him. So it, the second one wasn't as simple as that for me. And David, how about yourself? Would you agree with Andrew's assessment there? Yeah, yeah, definitely. The first one for me, I thought, was a was a clear pen. Um, you know, the, the touch on the ball was was there, but it was very minor, and he, he'd clad the player at the same time. Um, so I thought it was, it was a clear penalty, that one. Um, and the second one, yeah, it, as I think they've described it, it was just a uh, a normal game incident, is what people were just saying. It was, you know, it's, it's just a, a collision. There was no intention of a foul going on between the players. Gigo's momentum has taken him into Nemchenko, and Nemchenko similarly into, into Gigo, but Obviously, it's uh, Gigo's feet coming through to try and make the block of um, swept out Nemchenko's feet from under him and, and taking him out. I think uh, from the transcript, we, we saw, I'm pretty sure that they were, because um, Artsev was asking him for, for some speed, you know, to hurry up. Um, and I think this is sort of going back to the, the incident last year between Krasnodar Rostov, where they took eight minutes to make a VAR call. I think that was maybe potentially playing on their mind. They were just, just trying to rush the decision. Uh, I think some of that also clearly shows some miscommunication. I think what, what the VAR assistant was saying is not necessarily clear. Um, but, but yeah, it's, it certainly wasn't a penalty for the second one. Uh, but you can see how VAR would look at that, even in a longer period, and, and say, well, there's contact. He's swept his feet out. But, um, 
looking at it in a bigger picture, you know, it's, it's just the collision. There was no, there was no malice involved. Yeah, that was the crazy thing part about it for me is that for the first one, they didn't go to VAR, which seemed like a bit of a closer decision at the time. They got it right, so no complaints there whatsoever. But for the second one, when they did go to VAR, you can clearly see that it's not a foul. So it's definitely this the time it's taken. There's something in the back of the mind of the referee and of the VAR assistant. I don't know what's been said to them, but to for Eskov in that transcript earlier, I suddenly changed his mind halfway through. It, it's just a bit bizarre. After watching it, when you can see that, it's clearly less of a pen after every single time you watch the incident. Now, on after the game, obviously, Fadoon had those quotes, as mentioned, that he would pull Spartak out of the RPL. Now, on Tuesday, Fadoon announced that he would not pull Spartak out of the RPL, pretty much as expected. It was very much heat of the moment and was designed to try and bully his way to get what he wants, essentially. He, he wanted the RPL to not call his bluff. Now, Later on, he quoted that justice had been delivered and rules changed. What <laughs> rules are changed, mind? I have no idea because there's nothing being announced. There's nothing anywhere, anyway. And to get even better, later on on Tuesday night, something just as ridiculous and crazy happened in the Ruben game. So there was a poor decision. David, would you like to talk us through that decision in the game of Locomotive and Slutsky's subsequent post-game rant? Oh, if I have to relive it, I will, I suppose. <laughs> um, it, it it drew a lot of memories back to the to the game, the same fixture we played in June as well, actually. So Lokomotiv took the lead early on. Uh, Alex Hamaranchuk scored in both occasions. Actually, scored the first goal. Um, in the game on Tuesday, Ruben had an attack, counter attack, in just before the twentieth minute, I think it was. Kvitra flew up the field, slotted a nice through ball into Ivan Ignatiev. Uh, and watching it live, it looks like Guillermo's rushed out and brought him down. Uh, and I was I remember screaming, it's a penalty, it's a penalty. Uh, as I was watching it here, I basically stood up. I was I was so indignant <laughs> that it was gonna be a penalty, and then just nothing happened. Uh, and then as we see more replays, we can see that as Ignatiev sl- slotted in behind uh, Rebus. He was the defender chasing him back. Rebus giving him a shove in the back to to take Ignatiev off balance as he's going to take a shot, which has uh, clattered him into Guillerme. Uh, granted, he still managed to get a boot to the ball, whereas Guillerme, neither Guillerme nor Rebus touched the ball. Um, it was barely a shot, you know. He's, he's literally just flicked his boot at it and it's dribbled wide comfortably. Um, so, yeah, it was a clear penalty. Um, back in June, obviously, we... Uh, the decision that went against us was a, a handball from about a yard away, um, which I, I felt, I thought there was something in the rules where, you know, close distance handballs shouldn't be given as penalties. But in that case, uh, against Locomotive, uh, they also gave them, a pen- gave, uh, gave them a penalty as well. And, uh, yeah, as you say, Slutsky was not a happy bunny. Uh, he got himself sent off at half time, uh, or just after the second half started for, for a rant for questioning why the ref didn't use VAR uh, for the penalty call, which they, they didn't. The ref just said it was no penalty. That was that. And, uh, yeah, he was not particularly kind after the game either uh, with his words and uh, has subsequently received a, a two-match ban and a, a hefty fine to go with it. Now, I first personally feel like this decision's 
equally as terrible. It's a, it's a clear penalty and a yellow card to Guillaume. He didn't intentionally bring him down. It was just, Ignatiev he, he, got there before him and he brought him down. It's it's one of those. Now, Andrew, what did you think of Slutsky's comments in particular? Well, Slutsky, I think, in a more general sense, he comes across very well, usually, certainly, Um in his comments, he's actually quite an entertaining character, but he's, he's usually reasonably polite and respectful. Now, I can understand his frustration, but just like you guys have said, it's it's not really a subjective matter here. Like you see, the the goalkeeper has got nowhere near the ball. It, it, was, it wasn't dirty, but he's taken the guy down, and it is, it's a clear penalty. So you can understand why Skutsky is frustrated, because this is the problem with, with our initially when it was introduced or touted a few years ago, I thought, well, okay, if it is as clear-cut as they say it's going to be, then it will be a good thing. And I supported it for as long as I could. But it's this culture of, well, until every little decision is scrutinised perfectly, everybody is going to complain about it. But in this case, Slutsky was absolutely right. Why was it not used? Why did it not clear up? Now, he says, the referee, um, pardon me, uh, explained to him it wasn't a clear and obvious decision. Well, from the naked eye, now you look at where the referee is in a he's in a good position. He's right in the centre of the pitch. Now he does have one of he has Rebus is slightly obscuring his view, but that's exactly my point. Because the defender is slightly in in his path of vision, he has to go and check it. He can't possibly guarantee that Guillermo's got a touch on the ball because you can see the path of the ball doesn't change when it goes past him. So, Slutsky's comments are fair, I think. Um, I mean, when you consider that Rubin's official club accounts and quite a few others, in fact, this weekend, were brazenly open in just completely ridiculing the refereeing this weekend uh, and on a previous case as well, but as we're talking about this weekend, the club's official account Slutsky himself, the league themselves, how are they going to allow those sort of comments to pass? You can't just say, you can't do nothing. They've just basically said, your own officials are just not doing the job properly. Um, if that happened if that happened in England, the manager would get banned for a few games. Will it happen here? I don't think it will. So everybody is losing out in this. Rubin don't get the decision they clearly deserve. Um, the integrity of the referees is being dragged through the mud. And I'm not saying it's necessarily right or wrong, but it is being dragged through the mud. And yet, what is actually, who's actually being punished? Nothing is, nothing is happening. Um, I mean, it's, it's just a farcical situation all around. Um, Kashai needs to step up. This is pretty much what he was brought in for. He's got to either protect his referees and by, by extension, strongly encouraged the punishment ought to be given um, or he has to accept and hold the hands up that they've got it wrong I don't know it's just it's a complete mess but Slutsky himself fair play can't can't argue his comments what's the most surprising about these two events sort of compared and juxtaposed alongside each other happening at the same time is that as you rightly say Andrew Slutsky's one of the most mild-mannered uh, very religious yeah. and very very nice man. Like he's, he's he's probably, in my opinion, the most likable manager in Russia right now. <laughs> Tedesco is the complete opposite. He's the antithesis of everything of that. He's fiery. He he, he, let, he wears his heart on his sleeve, of course, but he's he's a very passionate manager and and very angry manager. To be to be, to be quite frank, and the two's sort of 
reactions was completely different. And it's it's crazy that the one thing that's point, pointed out that I, I noticed in, in what Slutsky said and what Rubin have con- uh, subsequently said, the political president, is that they've asked for help. They've they've contacted the RFU to say, explain. Now, Spartak did that, and Fadoon had his threat, and the RFU bended over backwards and gave them everything they wanted. Rubin do that? <laughs> Any word? No, they haven't heard back whatsoever. Fadoon himself alluded to that, that more openness and accountability would be incoming. That's what his idea of the changes, that's what he was alluding to. Well, it's very disappointing to see that on the very same day that he said that, Rubin would deny a clear penalty and the RFU didn't respond whatsoever, apart from <laughs> giving Sutsky a fine, banning him for two matches and calling him into the FTC committee over his comments. How is that fair? That's absolutely ridiculous. Yes, he did slightly overreact a little bit, but just about everybody is 100% agreeing with what he said because the RFU backed themselves into the corner over it. Can we move on from here? And Andrew, what do you think that needs to be done? Or is the issue more systemic? Is it is it bigger than just Russia? Uh, I think it pro- probably is. Although I do think what Russia could learn from other countries and on how to deal with this sort of situation is you've got to choose one of two paths. You can't just drift into nothingness. You either have to say that Slutsky was basically right in what he said or he was wrong to say it. You've got to say one or the other. You can't just ignore it. So by that, I mean what they should do here is if you hold your hands up and say, look, okay, we admit that we got this wrong, but stress the human side of it. You know, it is, even though the technology is used, it's a human making a decision. Um, we admit that there was a mistake made. There would at least be some credibility. There would be a little bit of faith handed out. And I think the clubs and aggrieved managers and parties would not just say, oh, everything's okay, but they would at least be placated and there would be some sense of dialogue. Now, on the other hand, if you go down that road too far, then every single decision will just be criticised left, right, centre. So on that, on that, that's, this is what I mean by they need to make a decision. Either they open that dialogue and admit there was a mistake, but explain, look, we're doing our best, it's human error, or they have to go the other way and they have to, look, this is, this is not what I think they should have, should do, but the other option is say, you're well out of order to criticise a referee who are going to give you a five-man, five-match touchline ban. They have to do one or the other. Otherwise, they're completely impotent. Uh, you know, we mentioned, James, didn't we, about Kashai, about what, what, what role was he brought in to do, um, how successful it is. This is where he needs to step up. He's got to have a very, very clear and consistent, and that's the key, just like you alluded to, there's got to be a consistency about how all these situations are dealt with. So, what what can be done here? Clearer communication for a start. Start with that and have to build the trust between clubs, players, referees and and the league. And at the moment, it's just not consistent enough. I was going to add to that and, and, and put my little bit in, but you're so clear and concise and perfectly mentioned that the way you did, Andrew. I've... I can't disagree with you. It's accountability and openness is exactly where they need to go. There's other issues that are above them. It's more with FIFA. It's more with football in general. But if they open themselves up and provide a little bit more self-accountability, when you get these VAR decisions, maybe the referee does what they do in American sports and explains it on field just to help, just to explain why. That would go so far. And David, moving away from refereeing specifically, what's your opinion on this 
Spartak conspiracy, maybe you want a little word on that. And, and then again, to get away from f- refereeing and controversy entirely, how did Ruben play? Do you think they were impressed by the performance? Because a football match did happen, of course. <laughs> uh, I mean, I think any sort of conspiracy is is nonsense, to be honest. Um, you know, Spartak fans have been playing up a lot of other decisions, which uh, neutrals will say, you know, the refs got right. Um, and all of them, they, you know, they, they think they've just gone against them. And let's just think, you know, if the refs yesterday, they, they're being given polygraphs um, for giving a penalty, but that would, if they've, you know, given that on purpose, they, they would have to, you know, to try and make Spartak not win the game. They've got to engineer that whole situation up, leading up to the penalty to have occurred. Um, you know, they have plenty of other opportunities to, to, to. I'm not going to swear, but do over, um, <laughs> do over Sochi during the game, and they, and they, you know, they they didn't take them. So, so yeah, I think it's, uh, you know, as we as we've seen, you know, as a room fan and as someone who watches most of the games, uh, you know, I've seen plenty of teams get done over by refs over the last uh, six months or so. So. So, yeah, but yeah, I mean, up until the point where we conceded the second goal, Ruben, we were good. Um, you know, if we'd scored, got our penalty in, let's just say we tuck it away, then then uh, we'd have we'd had a decent game on our hands. Um, you know, Lokomotiv, uh, they took their two chances that they had um, and then they, were, they just managed to cruise the rest. It seemed like uh, Ruben was sort of just a bit dejected after what happened. So, um just sort of gave up, but hopefully uh, we'll be back for a win next week. Were you impressed by Tosposovic on his debut? Um, yeah, yeah, I didn't think... Uh, I didn't, he wasn't as involved as I was hoping. It was interesting that he um, he didn't replace Ignatiev. He he played alongside him. Um, we sort of went 4-4-2 for a period there, which was, which was interesting. Um, but we were down to 10 men when he came on and, and struggling already, so... Um, it wasn't the best environment to see him in. I'd, I'd like to see him get a start against uh, against Dural next week and, and see how he does against a weaker team compared to Lokomotiv. Yeah, and as like a quick last word on Spartak, of course, there was a football match happened there as well. They absolutely should have killed the game off. They missed numerous glorious chances and have only got themselves to blame on that. Uh, Ponsa was through on goal, Glushenkov twice, Larson had a glorious opportunity and all of them went begging. But Sochi looked dangerous uh, on the counter, but by and large, Spartak were totally in control. And to Tedesco's credit, some of the little tweaks that he made, was largely the same formation, but pushing players up to support Sobolev made him the least isolated he's been since he put on a red and white shirt. And I want to put one last word out on Roman Zobnin, who I think put his best performance in since he before he broke his leg. He was unbelievably good at right wing back. He slaughtered Terakov all game, who himself should have been sent off. And and that, who had a resort to like small innocuous like fouls on Zoblin just to stop him getting past him literally time after time throughout the game. So next we'll take a quick look at some of the other teams and how they started off. Andrew, you know what's coming. During our season predictions last week, we all predicted Ural to get relegated mm. or at least finish in the relegation playoffs. Did you see anything to dissuade that? <laughs> oh dear lord! Um, this is, uh, David. You've done your bit, so fair enough. I can't shy away from my bit here. Um, short answer: No. I mean, it's it's depressing, quite how empty, flat, lifeless uh, a team can be. 
I was there at the game um, watching us against Dinamo. And the first 15, 20 minutes or so, to be fair, it was a, it, it wasn't particularly thrilling, but it was an enterprising, decent, energetic performance uh, for the first part. And we looked reasonably in control um, for the first part of the first half. And, and then everything just ran flat. There were players being played consistently out of position. And Yuri Matveev, to be fair, is has a slightly better control of things than Dmitry Parfionov. And by that, I mean that Roman Yemelyanov, for example, three or four years ago, I thought he would he was going to be one of the one of the best, you know, youngish midfielders around. And Parfionov decides he's going to be a defender. He's just not a defender. He's not good when his back is turned and he's got to chase back and keep up with very quick forwards. Uh, Matveev played him in, in midfield, so at least he got that right. Yegorichev, um, for me at the moment, is Boral's arguably most important player. Eric Bitfalvi is the most talented, and he will always produce a moment, but he needs to be supported. Yegorichev has got the engine for that. But then outside that, there's absolutely nothing. The defence is laughably bad. Um, so to avoid relegation, you, you can't concede the most goals in the league consistently, like Odell have last season, 53 goals in 30 games. They conceded more than the rock bottom Oldenburg. I mean, I just, I can't see it happening. You see transfers that should, Odell should be all over. I mean, simple ones, like um, Georgi Melkatsi going on loan to Ahmad. I mean, he had a good season at Tambov. He, his confidence was reasonably high. And he's spoken about his mental health problems before Melkatsi and about his, you know, having a psychologist to help him. And that made a big difference to his game last season. Well, Odal would be a platform for him. He could be the leading man again, like he was at Tambor. And and that can make a difference for Odal. That can be the difference. Three or four goals that could change games. Odal rely too much on Big Falby and um, Otman El-Kabir is almost certainly on his way out of the club. Um, so... I just can't see any. I can't see who they're going to bring in. Uh, Daniel Mishkitz, I believe, has signed today. Um, is he really the player we need, though? Do we need an attacking midfielder? What we need is a defender who can control the place, who can be a leader, a Stefan Strandberg, basically. Um, we need somebody there. We need. Fullbacks are okay. Igor Kalinin was good. Um, uh, Denis Kulikov is, is, is fine, but he won't be around for much longer. And a striker who can actually score goals. Um, plus another couple of wingers. You know, I'm only saying half a team, basically. <laughs> um, sorry, that was my rant. I've, I've had my rant. I'll try to keep it shorter next time. But uh, to answer your question in one word, no. <laughs> if, if it does help, I was very impressed by Rafael Augustiniak in centre midfield. Uh, I didn't actually notice it at the time, but looking back, I've seen a statistic that he created... He, Finished. The, he completed the most accurate passes of any midfielder in in mm. the RPL at the weekend with 103 at a 90 93 percent ratio of completion, which is pretty damn brilliant. So yeah. hopefully a little bit a little bit of good faith in there. <laughs> On to Dinamo, I'll, I'll mention them myself. I think you could really see obviously Zlatko Buvac, who was Klopp's former assistant at Liverpool, took over as sporting director. And you'd think that he was the driving force between releasing so many players over the age of 30. Six players out of the seven who they released were 30 or above. And he's replacing them with youth. He's implementing that pressing style that Dinamo 
started to show shades of with Fameen, man of the match, and having a cracking game. Szymanski playing really well and pushing really high. They're bringing youth in. They're, they're playing on the counter very well. And G with a lovely finish. I thought there's early signs of Dinamo starting to look like a normal club again, which is quite nice for their fans and good for them. Elsewhere, Ufa got off to a worse possible start, losing 3-0 to open to Krasnodar. We'll come on to them later, but how did the game pan out from Ufa, Ufa's perspective, David? Yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't great. Um, you know, they, they kept Krasnodar at bay for the, for the first half, at least. Um, Belanov was, as ever, keeping them in the game with a, a string of good, good saves. Um, but they, they really didn't get forward much themselves. You know, they, they lost uh, two of their key players in Fomin and, and Urunov, who were, who were driving them forward in the spring. Um, yeah, it was it was just not not promising. They had no outlet, really. You know, they were just pinging long balls up to Agalarov, but he, he only played the first 60 minutes uh, and he wasn't getting much success getting onto much. And I, I can't remember them having a really... A good chance. I thought, man, they they should have you know got shot off or scored there. Um, but they, you know, they were as good in defence, and you know, until they conceded, it was then you know that then they've got to attack, and it sort of starts to unravel a bit. But up until that point, they've been, you know, they play, they did a standard Ufa performance, you know, defending well, goalkeepers keeping them in it. But um, yeah, I think they'll need they'll need something else. In their team, someone someone's got to come in to to give them that spark back that that Urunov gave them, and give them that controlling presence in midfield that Fomin gave them. Do you think that Jamalatinov on loan from Siska could help with that, or is that just more so about him getting some games under his belt for the first time in ages? Uh, I think he's joined permanent actually, um, which uh, which would be good. I think. Um, well, I don't know. It's been so long since we've seen him in Russia. You know, he's been out on about been out in Poland for the last uh, what at least eighteen months now. I think. Um, I know he's he's suffered injuries in the past, but I think he was having a decent run in Poland recently. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he gets on. I remember he's he's not a sort of the kind of striker who's going to run with the ball. Uh, I always remember he had really low dribbling dribbling rates when he was at Cisco. So I'm not sure how he'll. Uh, you know, he's not going to be someone who's going to drive him forward like Urunov did, but whether he'll be able to slot in up top and, you know, be, be someone who can get on the end of things. You know, we, we know he's a good finisher from his youth days, but, um, you know, they, they needed someone in there. Their, their striker, they've got good depth of strikers, you know, got a lot of numbers up there, but none of them really outstanding. So, um, you know, it's a guy who, who was once, you know, touted as being a very high potential. Maybe it's still there and he just needs something to kick on. Maybe this will be it. I'd also like to mention Siska a little bit here. I thought they looked quite invig- reinvigorated and very solid. Their attacking phases of play, particularly with Konstantin Kachayev and Chagoyev playing in the right roles, just sitting off Chalov, was really delightful to behold. They linked up really well effectively with Mario Fernandez down the right, who's marauding as he always does, and just kind of <laughs> ran away with it, really. I mean, Kachayev was really good. It's nice to see him back playing not a wing back after the injury that he had. Igor Deveev continued his great form and showed what impresses me about Deveev is he, he shows a wise head that's just well beyond his years. He's only really got what, eighteen months, two years absolute maximum of experience playing at this level and he's kind of went to Siska, took the bull by the horns and and just fits perfectly in there. Now 
there's a much maligned centre back, David, and that's Vadim Karpov. Perhaps just a quick word on how he did. How you think? Did he have a quite quiet but decent game? Maybe. Yeah, that's pretty much uh, on on the money. I think you know it was his first first start for quite a while. Um, but you know he, he filled in maybe that time out of the team doing good. You know, uh, you know, realigned his head on his shoulders a little bit and. And uh, yeah, I mean, granted, he didn't have a great lot to do against Kimki. You know, they they put a bit of pressure on uh, sort of the last half an hour or so. But other than that, he you know he did have a good good lot to do, and maybe that was a good good move from Goncharenko to get him in there and, and boost his confidence with a uh, an easy in quote marks performance. Um, so yeah, yeah, pretty good. Um, I agree though. Yeah, they were they Cisco were soy Kachayev up front, which was uh, an odd move was was interesting, but. That'd uh, be good. All the same, it would be good to see Geich come in and start alongside um, Chalab up top. And obviously, we saw him come on late and, and crack the crossbar, um, you know, within about a minute or two of coming on the pitch, which would be an impressive uh, debut. But um, yeah, it's good to see Kachar back in form, you know, back to his pre uh, injury days. Um, but yeah, yeah, good start from him. Moving across Moscow, we mentioned Rubin earlier. And to their opponents, local, I thought they much, much, looked much better under Nikolic with Smolov up front for the first time rather than Adair. Now, Adair, obviously, Smolov was at Celta previously and Adair started every game under Nikolic so far. Now, Andrew, big fan of Adair. Oh, yes. Do you, but Smolov, do you think he'll stay mid-support to move into Turkey? And Do you think he had a good game? Yeah, I think he did. And, I mean, look, much as Adair is one of the greatest strikers ever to grace the Russian Premier League, he's not quite as cultured a player <laughs> as, um, as, as Fyodor Smolov. I actually think the loan move to Celta was, was a slightly odd one. You know, like you mentioned, he, he, he did okay. He scored against Real, he scored against Barcelona. And those are the sort of headline-grabbing moments that might make a club think, you know what, he took his, against Real Madrid in particular. It was really, really cool finish. And that's the sort of thing they would value unbelievably so. I think he's actually, now that they didn't take up the option to, to buy him, I don't believe there was a particular clause in place. But even if there was or wasn't, it doesn't matter. They haven't bought him permanently. Uh, I think that was clearly was the intention from Swallow. I think he's now got to prove himself again. And that little edge where he's going to have to push himself a bit more is going to be useful. Going to Turkey, I think, would defeat the object. Going, if he's going to leave Russia, and at his age in particular, he's got to be the last move. And we've been saying this for three, four years now. If he's going to move, he's got to move pretty soon. So I don't really see what the, the benefit of going to Turkey would be for him now. Um, and don't forget, he's due to be married this year as well, so I doubt his um, not-quite-so-experienced bride would want to be going to <laughs> another country just yet. Um very well said. I, I tried to be as diplomatic as possible and not get RFN <laughs> into a legal battle there. But um, no, to answer your question, though, no, seriously, though, Smolov, I, he clearly is the best striker that um, Lokomotiv have. Luka Djordjevic was a, 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 a rubbish signing from the start. Um, and with his injury problems as well, you might as well forget about him. Um, Edit serves a purpose if you want a blunt instrument up front to just be a battering ground, basically, but you need somebody to play off him to be effective. Now they have Smolov. Perhaps they might play together sometimes in games, but Smolov, I thought, offers something different. Uh, his motivation is the only question. If he's motivated, he can be one of the best players in the league. And and I think 
I think he might realise that, you know what, if I'm going to have any hope of getting back into the Russian team, any hope of getting one last big move, I've got to play well. Because if he doesn't, he'll be forgotten again. So... It was one move that, in particular, reminds me kind of the old Smolov, really, if it's un- it may be unfair to call him, that concern was only two years ago, but it was Alexei Moranchuk grabbed the ball and about 30 yards out, give a take, and played a nice little vertical pass down the channel for Smolov to run onto. Now, the pass was a little bit overhit. Smolov maybe could have got there a bit earlier, and it resulted in his shot being very tight and was quite an easy save in the end for, for Jubin, but that's shades of what you've seen Smolov with Mamayev a couple of years ago at Krasodar and it was really good to see him making those runs because Adair doesn't do that so perhaps he could be big for local this season and I'm looking forward to seeing him get a bit get some more minutes and hopefully not leaving now as 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 I mentioned we need to take some time to go into Krasodar it's going to go a bit more in depth than them now they still have numerous first team players out injured and a relatively thin squad but they tore apart Ufa away from home and are the only team in three years to have put three past Ufa in Bashkortostan and they've managed it twice. Does anyone in particular stand out on the day for you, David? I can guess one after you likened him to Quincy Promise on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, it was uh, absolutely, it was uh, it was Wadderson's game on, the, on Sunday. Um, he's really come into his own, I think, uh, in, the last, in the last few months or so. He's just playing with such confidence um, and and yeah, he's just reminded me of of when Promise was at his peak at Spartak. You know, taking on players, running. He's got a very similar running style, I think, on the ball. You know, he's so quick, um, so so quick, and he'll uh, he'll comfortably knock it past the player and run onto the ball. Uh, but everything he did basically in that game was was right. You know, he got the assist for the first goal for Cabela. You know, picked up the ball on the right. As I said, use that pace, use that good. Good running ability with the ball, uh, and put in this cracking little cross come pass back onto the edge of the box for Cabello, who took a took a touch and, and blasted it home, and then uh, assisted the third goal with a with a similar good good run down the right and just cut it across the goal for Berg to tap in. Um, but yeah, over the, over the last few weeks and months, he, he's been really really good. I think um, he's definitely been been their star player. Um, and you can see why there's been rumours linking him with a move away. Uh, it would be a big loss, I think, uh, if he if he goes, uh, especially with Klaassen still out injured. Um, but at least Cabela's sort of coming into some form now as well to to try and cover that. Um, but he'll he'll be a big player for them uh, this season if they hopefully can make the Champions League. Yeah, who I took notice of quite a lot as well was Danny Lutkin. Now he was brilliant in the back end of the season coming into the squad and scored that brace against Zenit and one of which was an absolute fantastic goal and then Wanderson on him is he's he's always impressed me with his with obviously his explosive pace and and his finishing ability quite a lot of the time but I've always had a few question marks over his decision making at this high speed and sometimes he makes the wrong error or he doesn't quite doesn't quite get it right maybe thinking about it too much but against Ufa he was great like everything he'd done was just inch perfect and that's what you said like, reminds me of Promise now he, I agree he does actually look a bit like Promise when he's in full belt he's got that whole sort of like very distant sort of dribbling style where he's happy to let the ball go and he knows he's got the pace to catch up and get there again 
but every single decision was just inch perfect and it was really good to see the way that he's coming on like that but, but as i said on back onto Utkin again he he controlled huge spells of the game for for Krasnodar and i don't think it was just that Ufa were bad. I think Krasnodar forced Ufa to, to be so poor. Obviously, they do. They are missing quite a few players. They lost a few in the few in the transfer window. But Krasnodar's goals were absolutely brilliant. There was nothing Ufa could do about them, and particularly Belenov. Now, Andrew, just how good were Amika Beers? Oh, just they, they were just sumptuous finishes. I mean, so so good. You got to remember, this was utterly torrential rain, just tipping it down. And Krasnodar didn't change the style of play. I thought it was just remarkable confidence. Now, yes, Ufa have lost some key players, like I mentioned, um, Formin and Uranov, really allow them to play a slightly different style at times, or at least through Uranov carrying it forward. Um, but Kabir's goals, I mean, the, the, the first, I think it was, where he took, it was a, that cutback from Wanderson. It, was it wasn't perfectly on the ground. His first touch coming towards the ball's momentum to just control it, but allow it to come forward, controlled it a second touch, and then smacked it into the corner. It was just absolutely unreal. I mean, that is a man on confidence, full of full of confidence. We saw towards the end of last season, which it sounds weird saying it, doesn't it, given it was only, what, two or three weeks ago, but um, <laughs> that, um, that Penenka penalty finish, the dinked finish over, I forget exactly which games these were in, but Pretty much all his goals since he's come back from injury have been seriously, seriously talented um, little finishes. I think Kabir is going to be a very, very important uh, I say signing. I was about to say signing, and it feels like a new player. Him and Wanderson as wingers, I don't think many teams are going to be able to really, really put up with them. Um, so I I feel even more confident with my prediction that Krasnodar will be the main challengers for Zanit for the title. Wanderson and Kabea, most importantly, uh, the strongest part of that challenge for me. Yeah, it's good to see Kabea coming into form after having quite an injury hit season, especially before the COVID break last season. But uh, some of us predicted Krasnodar to finish second this season. It's certainly a positive start, but David, do you think they might need a strengthen possibly to challenge Zenit and on that can they strengthen? Yeah it's a it's a tough situation they're in I mean it's a, it's a very very uh, impressive result you know going to Ufa and getting a 3-0 win is as you said it's a rarity and, and, and you know that that's the kind of result last year they went there uh, they scored three but obviously they also conceded two uh, but to go go to Ufa and to score three goals is, is a tough tough task so they they've, they've certainly impressed me early days um, you know, you look at the team and, and you definitely feel like they need a striker. You know, for up front, they've only got really Marcus Berg and Ari potentially. You know, in, in recent years, Ari's been playing more as an attacking mid. Um, but even so, that's two two strikers who are who are both in there, you know, 33, 34, I think, both film roughly, uh, which is not what you want. You know, they're, they're, the backup striker at the moment is Maxim Kutavoy out of the academy. You know, he's only ever had a few minutes for the first team. He's never scored for them yet. Uh, had a decent record, uh, you know, to up until he was about 16, 17 in, in the youth teams. Uh, but you feel they, they need something else. But considering how many foreigners they've currently got, uh, they've, they've got nine when they should only have eight. So one of them's got to go. Um, you know, the, their options are limited. They either ship out a couple of foreigners to bring in another striker or they, they go domestic and... 
then you'd be asking yourself, well, who can they get? Yeah. I was, when we talked about Smolov earlier, I was thinking, could, they, could you imagine them bringing Smolov back? But I, I just think that's maybe a bit out of the question. But that's the area where you'd look to think they need to strengthen. Do you think they could move into their academy, maybe? Or is it, like I said, there's just not really the right the right time for their academy, the kind of a little bit of a lull where those who are in there are not quite ready and those who are ready are already in the first team? Yeah, I think that's the case. I say it's just it's just Kutavoy who's who's the striker who they're looking to rely on now. You know, they had Onuka, um, but he was you know, he's twenty four already in the he got a couple of minutes last season, but um, you know, at his age they they've shipped him out on lane to Tambov. He, you know, he obviously wants senior football. Um but yeah, the second team at the moment doesn't have any any strikers who are who are as prolific as you want them to be or showing the talent that you think they'd like to be showing. Um, you know, unless Kuzavoy, you know, he's only nineteen still, maybe he can come through and do something and he's only just turned nineteen. Maybe he can start to replicate that form, you know, get him, get him some minutes. You know, he came on late in Ufa. If he can come on late one day and, and get a goal um, after, you know, Krasnar through, uh, winning a game already, get his confidence going, maybe, maybe he can be the foil that they need to, to back up uh, Arian Berg. But um, you, you'd think really they need something else. And it's going to be a tough task for them to do it unless they you know, start to uh, really uh, make some sales. Mm-hmm. Krasnodar's probably got one of the best academies in the country, if not the best. So as a quick little aside at the end, moving on from one very talented academy in Russia to another academy in Russia, a certain 15-year-old Sergei Pinyayev has been at Manchester United on, in a training regime on three different occasions already, scored his first senior goal at the weekend, and you watched that game live, David. Yeah, yeah, I did. Um, it's, been, uh, it's been a good start season in the FNAL, and, and uh, Pinyayev has had sub appearances in in the opening three fixtures for for Chertanova at you know age just 15 uh 15 and like 9 months I think it was or something uh yeah in his opening two two appearances he got assists off the bench having played you know less than 50 minutes in total and then uh, yeah he came on for the second half yesterday and uh, against 10 men and and picked up a, a nice fit a nice goal and a nice finish and uh, becomes the youngest Felio goal scorer of all time so uh, a nice little statistic and a record to to add to his illustrious, hopefully, career. And just to finish off here, I've got a quick bit of breaking news, is that the Secretary General of the RFU, Alexander Alayev, has made a statement regarding VAR and Viktor Kashai, in which he said that the biggest difficulties in refereeing are now associated with the use of VAR system. It does not work as expected, and there are objective reasons for this. It goes on to claim that they're going to be investigating the use of VAR in future. And later on, defends Victor, saying that he's just started his work. In order to achieve the results, he needs our time and trust. It's hard for him now. He found himself a new environment. But since we made a choice, we need to trust the person and give him time. He's already figured out the situation in the country and understood where the weaknesses are. But he has not yet had the time or opportunity to fix it because it's so early. So it's a bit bit of breaking news is to bring it all but cyclical back to the refereeing issue again and that's actually been it for this week's episode of the RFN podcast check out the website at russianfootballnews.com including the usual transfer rumour mill piece, highlights of all RPL matches and a focus on non-league side by Groza Kazan by David. This weekend sees some of the top sides face each other for the first time as local host Krasnodar Zenit travels to Rostov 
And we've got the first RFN derby of the season, Azura Alface Ruben. I've been James Nichols. That's at James Nichols on Twitter. David, what's your Twitter handle again? And surely, uh, Ural won't shock your boys. Well, I, uh, I bloody hope not. Uh, my Twitter <laughs> is at RFN underscore David, and hopefully you'll, you'll see me there celebrating this weekend. Andrew? Uh, at Andrew M-I-J Flint is my Twitter handle, and I can confirm that David will be celebrating. There's absolutely no way, no way he's going <laughs> to lose this one. That's been the RFN podcast. Goodbye for now. Веди его, беги, точнее его удар. Но мяч берет ноги решительный вратарь. Не напрасно футбольное поле самых ловких и смелых плечов. Здесь нужны тренировка и воля, быстрота, увлечение, расчет.